Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. You're listening to Yellow Wall Podcast. Hit me! 99 Peter Bosch. Chain one. If you have a girl problem, how for that for you, son? I got 99 pounds, but... Peter Bosch. Chain one. Hit me! Yes, 94 in my trunk is raw. Hello all and welcome to episode 269 of The Yellow Wallpot. I am your host Stefan Butzko and I am joined by the very decent, loving <laughs> Matthias Luke from Colorado. Hello Matthias. Well, hi. I don't I don't quite know what to do with that intro. <clears throat> I don't think I've been ever referred to as decent and loving. Uh, not even by my own kids or wife. So uh, I'll I'll go with it. I appreciate it, Stefan. How are you today? Well, I'm very well. Uh, you see, dear listeners, Matthias helped me out with the private matters. So um, I'm forever in his debt. Um, but we're obviously not here to talk about uh, our personal issues, but about Borussia Dortmund and how they are keeping Bayern Munich at bay with three points by beating Bayer Leverkusen. Yes, my uh, attempted reverse psychology worked out like a charm and Dortmund actually won 3-2, not lost 3-2 against uh, Peter Bosch's men. And we are here to talk about that. But Matthias, um, you know, I, um, I'm a sucker for uh, having things in chronological order. Um, this is how we usually do our podcasts. And because of that, we will talk about Leverkusen, Augsburg, and uh, obviously also the Tottenham game. But beforehand, just to stay in line with chronological order, Matthias, um, just pre-pod, we talked about hate-watching and how you hate hate-watching, yet uh, you've got caught watching the doppelpass on Sunday with the one and only Uli, Hoes uh, Uli Hoeneß. So um, first of all, please defend yourself and uh, tell me why this isn't hate-watching. And second of all, what are your takeaways from, from uh, that, uh, let's say, appearance? Well, I mean, it's not hate-watching in the sense of it was more for the entertainment factor of, okay, what the hell crazy stuff he's going to say, because we can definitely not forget the infamous press conference from earlier this season. Um, you know, so the reason why I watch this is just curious to see what he gets confronted with, knowing that it's a very pro-Bion panel overall, except for the uh, the journalistic colleague from the FAZ, who actually pushed back on a few things, which was awesome to watch. Um, but uh, Uli Hoeneß, first of all, doesn't quite understand that goal difference matters in the Bundesliga uh, <laughs> because he said, you know, everything's great. Anybody who's critical of Bayern basically doesn't know what they're talking about. Uh, of the last 18 matches, they've only lost one, which is true. Um, and they are uh, Bundesliga leaders, which at the time they were not. They were second. They were equal on points with Borussia Dortmund, but due to Dortmund's vastly superior goal difference, <laughs> um, they were uh, second. And obviously, ever since then, it's kind of been trending uh, to say, we hope Dortmund win the Bundesliga title on goal difference, just to make sure Uli Hoeneß knows that goal difference matters. So yeah, I don't know. I would survive that. Yeah, no, match day, I, but, uh, I I still remember uh, back in 1992 when it all came down to the last match day with Dortmund Stuttgart and Frankfurt, and I was a teenager, and it was uh, that that was that was pretty pretty bad. But there there have been a few. Granted, if we really want to know what it's what agony is like on the last match day, we just have to ask people in Gelsenkirchen. Um, so, but <laughs> but what was interesting about it was the exceeding extreme levels of arrogance once again put on display by Herr Hoeneß. Um, and that, you know, he basically said that we, you know, he was very sarcastic in, in his stuff about, oh, young coach. And I mean, it's not that Niko Kovac is inexperienced. I mean, he was Croatian national team manager. He was successful at Frankfurt. So, okay. And then he said, you know, a sporting director doesn't know anything, which is Hasan Zalihamidzic. And yes, Zali Hamidzic is not a great sporting director. Anyway, um, <clears throat> there's a really good one on the market now. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he could come from Schalke to, to Bayern, even though I don't think he's going to want to do that. Um, but what he talked about was, you know, it's a season of change at Bayern, which we all recognize and all saw, and we're seeing it, you know, the old guard leaving, new people coming in. Um, and what he said, which I just found 
typical Uli Hoeneß Bayern uh, was when he said that they are sacrificing the Bundesliga title this year strategically, which is total garbage. <laughs> and he said, you know, in all my years as professional in the world of football, I've won over 50 titles personally. Obviously, he's counting also the stuff he won as a player. Um, so it, you know, one more or less doesn't matter. Ho, 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 ho. And that is just, in a nutshell, why everybody who's not a Bayern fan absolutely despises that club, that level of extraordinary arrogance. And he said it all with just this, this arrogant smirk smile and like, I'm so above you all. And it just, it, it rubs you the wrong way. It makes makes me miss the Pep Guardiola, Kalle Rummenigge years when Uli Hoeneß was in prison for tax evasion. Let's not forget that, shall we, Uli? Um, and so it was, it was kind of, it set the stage perfectly for the Dortmund match, which of course happened later that same day. Yeah, I gotta say, I'm, I'm, uh, really glad that Dortmund came away victorious just because, uh, you know, we, uh, would not be talking about goal difference, which right now is, I think, plus seven, um, on top of the three point difference. Um, so yeah, um, do you want to start with the Leverkusen match or do you want to, uh, real quick talk about, um, our dear neighbors that are 31 points behind us, Schalke, who just got rid of Christian Heidel? Yeah, you know, let's let's touch on them because chronologically, obviously, they lost to Mainz before we beat Leverkusen, <clears throat> and it's. I think you'd said it once. If if Heidel can't do it, nobody can, and I agree. And and you know, for a man that came from twenty four years at Mainz, from when they were a club that was fighting relegation in the Zweite Bundesliga to a club that made Europa League a few times, pushed and, and, you know, took risks on the manager side, but got Jürgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel into the world and made that very interesting decision to replace Jan Andersen with Thomas Tuchel when Andersen got them promoted, which I still don't quite 100% know what happened there. Hopefully one day I will, or I'll care enough to find out. But uh, the fact that Schalke, it's one of those clubs, and I was thinking about it this morning, that just devours and disintegrates people over the last 10 years specifically. Um, and it's kind of ironic, you know, Rudi Asawa's death and, and, and all the tributes to a, a man who did so much for football in Dortmund and Schalke that, you know, his years were the years of stability in Schalke with him and Hoop Stevens. I mean, it was a very long, good tenure where they won the, uh, the UEFA Cup and everything, almost became German champions. Uh, but obviously didn't uh, due to uh, the other club that devours and disintegrates people, which is Hamburg, over the last 10 years. Because, of course, the, the, the last match day was 2001, I believe it was, with Hamburg and Bayern. But it, it, they've just disintegrated into that club, and, and I don't see them coming out from it. I don't think they're going to be a top-four powerhouse in Germany, also because they are, uh, they've got a lot of debt they're dealing with. Uh, you could just see that by the fact that Heidel said we didn't have money to bring in a striker in January, even though they had no striker. That says a lot. Um, and so they've kind of fallen into that camp of Hamburg and recently also Stuttgart, as far as clubs that, and the way Köln used to be, that just tear each other apart and devour people. Bayern do it too, but Bayern do it out of ruthless efficiency and success Whereas Schalke, Hamburg, and now Stuttgart, they do it out of pure chaos and self-destruction. So, 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 you're, so you're saying Bayern are like the Republican Party and the rest, you know, self-destructing is more like the Democrats. <laughs> to put I, I don't know if I would necessarily uh, say that uh, Schalke are like the Democrats, even though the constituents no. is not far off. Um, but no, I, what I would say there is just Bayern do things calculated And Schalke certainly do not. I don't think there's anything you could say in there that's necessarily overly thought out. I mean, Heidel tried to replicate 
his 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 story of success, you know, he brought in Weinzia, brought in Tedesco, kind of younger managers that maybe it's too much. With Weinzia it was, Tedesco I argued is too. I don't think he's as good a coach as everybody thinks he like or wants to think he is. Um, and obviously, personnel-wise, people left that were key, either on a free or for not extraordinary amounts of money. If you just look at, you know, people like that left over... Over the last few years, uh, you know, Goretzka, Goretzka Maya. Zane, uh, Tilokera, just to name a few key players for them, and trying to bring in players that are maybe of, uh, I, I don't know, that, that aren't like-for-like like replacements in the sense, but that just didn't work out, but maybe that they could afford. And, you know, Weston McKinney is no replacement for a Goretzka or a Maya or a Sané and... You know, Burgstaller, you know, he's not Klaas-Jan Huntela and stuff like that. So it's a club that's in free fall. And I think the saving grace for them, like you and I uh, via WhatsApp discussed after after the match, <laughs> I said the, their saving grace is that the four teams that are below them are just that bad. Because any other season, I think they would be sitting right in there really tight on points with at least the 16th place. But as such, they've got a decent enough cushion that uh, above Augsburg that I don't think that they're going to really fall into that camp unless they continue to do what they're doing. And then who knows, actually? I mean, right now, they're 31 points off Dortmund. And 31 points is half a season of, a, let's say, contender for the European spots. And the thing about Schalke and, and what you, know, you already alluded to, I thought that Christian Heidel could turn this club around um, to the extent because when he came in, he did not just, you know, made, made a lot of changes to the team, but also to, to the club and the infrastructure itself. And, and maybe this will still come to fruition at some point, but uh, it is quite, um, yeah, telling that a manager who I thought was, was really good and, and would really in, invest, you know, into stones, the, the youth, set up and and you know just uh modernizing the entire club because i think heidel himself said that the first when he when he arrived that uh he he realized that mines were running a much more modern business than Schalke were so i thought that um this could be a turnaround especially when Schalke this season started really really bad which we all sort of expected but uh, they did not completely cannibalize right away um which now obviously is happening because they could not turn it around but uh you know it was eerily silent for, for Schalke for a very long time considering how how bad it was and uh now the Süddeutsche Zeitung uh you know wrote a very inter interesting piece and they basically said that that uh, Heidel was ground down from the criticism toward his work and so he I think especially flagged um, the builds and sport builds and, and yeah, well, the, the tabloid news media basically, um, for really unfair criticism. And, um, it's just sort of a, it's a really interesting insight into the microcosm of Schalke and, and how dysfunctional everything is there that, uh, people that are, I would say, sane and, and usually know what they're doing just do not find the, uh, let's say surrounding or the habitat to actually do their job in in the way they they want to and you know Heidel just gave up basically um he is the one resigning and stepping down and uh, that uh, yeah is is not a good tell from from Schalke and really makes them look bad and a chaos club is in in all the words you've already described them and um yeah i i stand by my point i said if Heidel cannot turn this club around. Nobody can. And uh, I think um proven right now. And yeah, not not a good time for Schalke because I really do not see them going back up to the Champions League quickly. I mean, in, in football things, you know, you can build success quite quickly, but uh, I, I really fear, well, I don't fear for them, but I, I really think it's going to be a, a long stony road back up because as you said they're in debt they right now will not have european football to convince players to join them and um yeah gelsenkirchen itself is also not the nicest place to live so it's it's not going to be easy for anyone who follows to uh, build 
something new that uh, will not immediately be criticized or, or you know under fire or whatever so um that all being said i think it's uh, now time finally to to move on to the Dortmund side of things but I, I thought we needed this little bit of sidebar to put things maybe a little bit into perspective too um so matthias Dortmund against Leverkusen, to me, very much expected a very dominant game from Leverkusen, 66% of possession. And obviously, uh, as Peter Borsteins do also outrun Dortmund, uh, or yeah, usually if you have more possession, you don't run more, but uh, Dortmund just ran 120 kilometers and Leverkusen ran five kilometers more, which uh, shows how much they did to basically stand empty-handed. But... In the first 20 minutes or 25 minutes, I would say it did not really look like uh, Leverkusen were going to come out of this empty-handed. So, Matthias, first question, why do you think was uh, this such a one-sided affair in the first, I don't know, half hour or so? Well, you know, I, I tweeted it during the match that, you know, the first half up until that point, it was about the first 25 30 minutes, it reminded me a lot of Dalton's match against Bayern, where Bayern, for the first 20, 30 minutes, were clearly the dominant side. Dalton had one or two looks at goal, um, but overall, Bayern dominated it. In terms of possession, shots, they looked more likely to score, um, and Leverkusen were the same way. I mean, to me, dominance of a match isn't purely dictated by possession. Uh, even Pep Guardiola says that. I mean, having a lot of possession but not winning is kind of pointless. Um, <laughs> and it, it comes more down to, if you look at, you know, shots on goal, shots on target, how many saves they had to make. A lot of what Leverkusen did was in those first 30 minutes. And then obviously, and, and Lucien Favre also admitted this, Dolma were lucky to get the goal that they did um, in the sense of not that it was like a fluke goal, but just it was against the run of play. And that really changed the dynamic of the match. And I felt Dortmund had a few better moments there leading into halftime. And then in the second half, there were phases where even though Leverkusen had more of the ball, Dortmund were the better side, in my opinion, because they looked more dangerous. There was more drive to goal. There were better moments. Had they finished or rounded off a few of their moves a little bit better, I think they could have scored four goals or five goals. Yes, of course, Roman Bucchi made two good saves uh, from relatively point-blank headers. Granted, they were both right at him, but still he had to make the saves. And people point to those two, but aside from that, and then you look at the two goals, headed goal, and then, of course, uh, Folland's equalizer from outside of the box where he shot it between, I think it was Witzel's legs. Um, and so Buki was unsighted and couldn't see it until late. And it was very well placed. Uh, Leverkusen were threatening, but never to the point where you're like, oh, wow, Buki had to pull off like five, six, seven world-class saves. They hit the frame of the goal three, four times. You know, it wasn't that type of dominance. It was an optical dominance based on possession but Dortmund, once they got that goal, felt significantly more secure. And yes, it got a little, quote-unquote, nervy towards the end because Leverkusen got a second goal and, you know, hey, we were up 3-0 once in a completely dominant performance and ended up drawing 3-all. But it, it didn't really... I didn't get the sense of that. You know, they, they misplayed some free kicks and, and Leverkusen just didn't, didn't seem in, that as in control anymore. So... Over the full 90 minutes, would I say this match deserved a three-all more than the Hoffenheim match? Yes, obviously. Um, but I wouldn't say that it was a start-to-finish domination of Dortmund, as some have put it. I think um, there were phases in the match, especially the first 20 to 30, where Leverkusen were a better team. But then there were strong phases during the match where Dortmund were the more threatening team. But always seeding possession. That was the game plan. It was not to dominate possession. So it mirrored the Bayern match in many, many ways. Yeah, what was interesting about this game is um, that Lucien Favre made a couple of changes. Uh, Julian Weigel 
in uh, defensive midfield next to Axel Witzel, which uh, obviously was a bit interesting. And then uh, Alcacer up top with Mario Götz on the 10, which uh, I think we can all agree worked out very well. And um, obviously a massive change um, is that Manuel Akanji is back. Um, and I, I think we saw right away how um, important it is. And I, I think... Um, uh the uh, combination with Akanji and Zagadou is a winning one i think the the seven times they play together Dortmund always won so um i don't know if that's just in a in a uh, league or not that's a, a stat that Tinif blog posted on on twitter which uh, um yeah i can very much recommend so interesting is obviously the first 25 minutes leverkusen hardly allowed Dortmund to even dribble or combine themselves out of the first half. Dortmund really, really struggled to find a way through that pressing. And um, I thought that was maybe the, uh, the the plan from Favre to have Weigel there to just have someone with a little bit more pressing resistance to who, who can uh, play these com- combinations because we've seen, I think, 38 seconds into the game that as soon as you break through Leverkusen's second wave of pressing, there is like just a space of Australia to to combine in. And uh, yeah, a lot of combinations broke down, but, you know, Leverkusen were never going to be able to keep up that place, especially not with a game against Krasnodar and their legs from Thursday. So I expected them to to tail off at some point, and after 25 minutes, I think they did. And this is the first time Dortmund seized a bit of control and so managed to, uh, yeah, play the ball around Leverkusen's box for a little bit. And that was, you know, immediate threat. You know, Leverkusen went straight to DefCon two or so there. And uh, yeah, obviously very nice that uh, Dortmund then score off a corner. Um, Zagardou now the 18th goal scorer, which is a club record. That's uh, 18 gold scorers, uh, yeah, in, in, in one single season, which is quite the feat, I think. And, uh, very happy for him too, to finally get this goal. Um, <laughs> and I think Lucien Favre pondered really about the, um, the moment after Leverkusen equalized after that Kevin Folland goal that, uh, what was it? like 82 seconds or so when uh, Jay and Sancho then had this delicious volley. And I think Sancho said as much after the game that he actually wanted it to go there. He picked out his, his corner. Tin Yetwai, the uh, Leverkusen fullback, completely misjudged that uh, ball a little bit like Zagadou did uh, with, against Tottenham. And uh, yeah, just a very, very delicious volley uh, 2-1. And I think this is all about confidence and and, you know, being in, in control again and up front. So yeah, very important also for Dortmund to, to go in front. And after, you know, weathering the storm, so to speak, we could also finally see that Julian Weigel got really freaking, uh, comfortable in, in, in midfield again and, uh, playing a couple of very, uh, delicious passes very, very quickly. You know, when he receives the ball, just instantly turns around and passes it on. This is something. We did not see from him in a, in a very long time. And I'm very happy that he, you know, has the confidence. And I think that's what it is, um, to, to do that because it really literally opens up the play for, for Dortmund. And, uh, you know, it's a whole nother angle than I think the, the player that perfected that move in the Dortmund shirt was Ilkay Gönouan. And Julian Weigel did it also very well in, in his first one and a half seasons under Thomas Tuchel. But then that, sort of got missing and it's nice to see that within the macrocosm of one game we could finally see him you know doing a move that you you know need bots to do because just turning around against a, a team that presses you could also go horribly horribly wrong and i think in the past we have uh, seen weigel lose the ball like that but uh yeah not not on uh, Sunday, and I, I think Dortmund got rewarded by, uh, yeah, having some really good combi combination play, and I think this is a key just going forward that Lucien Favre also knows he can rely on Julian Weigel in in defensive midfield now. Um, how did you see Weigel's performance overall? Well, I thought it was it was a brave selection from Favre on the face of it. Obviously, he knows his players way more than we do. 
but he play he got more and more comfortable as time went on uh, and got used to the rhythm of the game and got used to the rhythm of Leverkusen's pressing, which was, I'm not going to say predictable, but you knew when and in which positions and how intensely it was coming. And, so predictable. <laughs> yes, predictable, but it, it's, you know, when it's a uh, Bosch press, it's not technically that predictable. It's a little crazy, but it's not... I'd say Jurgen Klopp is less predictable in the pressing than, than Peter Bosch. And obviously, some of these players, Julian Weigel, one of them, is familiar with the Bosch style of pressing. So, And that's why those spaces that were opened up is not a surprise. I thought Weigel played very, very well. It gives him a lot of confidence, obviously. Makes it uh, uh, a decision for Dortmund to make after the season as far as what to do with him. Uh, this definitely helps him in, in a value proposition, selling it to someone possibly like PSG. Um, but again, the key players you mentioned, Akanji, Weigel, and then to me, the player of the match, Mario Götze. Uh, he was absolutely fantastic. It was the Götze before Bayern uh, and before the 2014 stuff and, and his health issues. It was absolutely fantastic to see. He also looks trimmer. He looks fitter. Um, he looks full of confidence again. Uh, and not like the arrogant confidence, but confidence he can do whatever he wants. And he did. He pressed well. He passed well. Whenever he got the ball, I knew something cool was going to happen. And it did. It, it put uh, Leverkusen under pressure right away. And I do have to say, for the first 20, 30 minutes... What made it very cringeworthy in this match for me at times, and I almost couldn't watch, was the high risk that both sides were taking in their passing out of the back when getting pressed. That that there wasn't, you know, a couple of goals scored just because of bad passing out of the back or high risk passing. I can remember a couple straight across goal mouth from both sides <laughs> oh it, it it i almost couldn't watch and i was watching with my kids and i said and i turned to my son and said well when you're playing defense you will never play a pass like that because i i will i will lose my mind i mean that's that's a an a 101 thing you're taught you don't play a pass under pressure in front of your goal mouth but both sides got away with it somehow yeah so, somehow um If we talk about Götze, I mean, I've I've actually written this down as a whole discussion, and and I think we can include Rafael Guerrero in in this discussion because both their contracts run out at 2020, and I think now's the time for both to extend their contracts and for Dortmund to offer them an, a new contract. I think uh, Rafael Guerrero has already signaled that he, uh, you know, would be happy to sign a new contract. And I assume the same counts for Mario Götze, right? I mean, uh, now in the wake of, uh, in the absence of, of Marco Reus, who thankfully will be back on Friday, um, Mario Götze is wearing the captain's armband. And uh, I think it does not look out of place. Um, Matthias, I've read from a, from a couple of, um, you know, Twitter users and, you know, the one and only Luca Giel in, included, who wrote that Mario Götze goals feel more special than other goals. Um, do you, do you agree with that? And if so, can you explain it? Well, I mean, there are a few things that play into that. Obviously, he came through through Dortmund's youth system. He's kind of seen as a Dortmund player. Then you throw in the fact that, you know, he scored the World Cup winning goal. I don't think you can speak of a, a more important goal for Germany in the last 20 years. Um, and then the whole, you know, everything that went down at Bayern, his health issues... And then his comeback, specifically starting a little bit last season, but specifically this season, given that for how long he didn't play, and Fava got all the questions and all the criticisms, why isn't he playing? Is he done? Is he over? And no, he was doing everything right. And honestly, Gutsa doesn't score a lot of sloppy seconds goals. He doesn't score a lot of Obama Young goals where it's just somehow at his feet and he taps it in. There, There's always something... Um, I don't want to say artful around it, but, you know, something special about it. Like, a, uh, he's not Zinedine Zidane, but Zidane goals tended, for the most part, to be very special every time he scored them. And Götze 
kind of kind of fits that in the sense you know it's not a lot of sloppy goals it's nine times out of ten a ball a, a goal out of a move that he either created or started or was deeply involved with beyond even just scoring and then of course scoring some nice goals that are pinpoint accurate so overall uh no i i absolutely agree i think there are multiple things that play into why Gutsa goals are just just more special yeah, I think another one is maybe I, I think he he gets a lot of unjustified criticism on top of all that. And uh, I'm I'm very glad that uh, uh, Lars Poyman worked this out and he tweeted Mario Götze has now been involved in a league goal score or assist every 111 minutes this season. Only bettered by Royce, Paco and Sancho. He has been excellent for most of 2019, especially considering the load he's had to take on. And says definitely deserving of a return to the Germany setup, even if Dortmund would probably like him to get some rest in March. But he seems to be the kind of guy whom that stuff really matters to. And I would very much agree with Lars. And um, also looking at, you know, Götze's that just shows you that he actually is still quite influential. And, and when we say that he maybe does not score as many goals and we really would have loved him to score against Nürnberg, um, I, I still think that the service he's doing to the team not only the scoring contribution and, and the assist contribution but overall this is just of of so much value that it's it's really hard to denounce and um i think it would just be a very nice sign um that he sees his uh, future at Dortmund long term just like uh, Marco Reus and so that we will have this partnership hopefully for the next two, three years or so. Um, this is something that I personally would really love to see. And I think uh, Dortmund are, are smart to do this and um, basically also ensure that they have a core to build something on because uh, I think Michael Zog recently said in an interview that um, you know replacing players for them is not really problematic unless they have to replace like two or three at the same time. Like the one season where they lost Hummels, Mkhitaryan, Gunuan in, in, in one uh, transfer period. So, um, yeah, very happy to see Mario Götze extend long term. And I think the same can be said for Rafael Guerrero, who, um, yeah, is also becoming more and more in, integral with almost every game and, and the way he plays. I think the, the synergy is building. So if you have that sort of core of, of attacking talent and, uh, you know, add Jane Sancho or whoever, then, um, Dortmund have uh, something very healthy to build on. The same, I think, goes for Paco Alcázar. And I think that's the maybe the next talking point. Again, he didn't score, um, but he nearly scored Dortmund's fourth goal after what was probably the best attacking move all game. Um, it was slightly offside. A lot of people then uh, were a bit mad at VAR, but uh, the linesman already had raised his flag, so VAR only checked if he falsely raised the flag. But nevertheless, I, I think Paco Alcázar in the long term will be fine. I, I see that he has a couple of issues right now in, in the way he, um, yeah, links up with his team and, and really wants that goal. And I think it would have given him a lot of confidence if, you know, that one had counted. But I, I still think that, uh, in, in the long term, he will be fine. I mean, he will probably not re replicate the uh, scoring rate he showed in the first half of the season. But we all know that that was not sustainable. However, him not scoring uh, right, you know, the way he is right now is also not sustainable. And we must never forget that he, uh, yeah, is not 100% fit yet. So um, I'm really keen to see 100% uh, fit Alcázar. How did you see him against Leverkusen? Well, I thought he worked really hard. It was probably his best match without scoring. And yes, it was fractionally offside, but... You either are or you are not offside. It's not like a handball call where a lot of it is down to a personal interpretation of a referee. Offside is you either are or you are not. He was. End of discussion. Uh, <laughs> frustrating because it was so close. But, you know, maybe that's something uh, the people down in Munich can, can discuss if you are or are not offside. Uh, Mr. Lewandowski as an example. But against Leverkusen, 
ironically, actually. Um, no, I think he, the goals will come again. Again, th- like you said, like we had discussed previously, the rate at which he was scoring was not going to continue. If it was, well, then he's getting into Lionel Messi territory. And no offense to Paco Alcacer, he's not Lionel Messi, because I don't think he'll take offense to that, because almost nobody is Lionel Messi. Um, I think the goals will come. I still think Dortmund and he personally will benefit from a second, quote-unquote, proper striker. Uh, even though Gutsa does can play in that number nine position, even though he doesn't really play a number nine role. Um, I, when Royce comes back and you get more of a rotation into the front as well with Guerrero, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so that's definitely an area that Dortmund still needs to strengthen. But I think Paco will be the main striker and the main striking outlet that they're going to be looking for goals. Uh, I know during the match commentary, you know, Stefan Freund, uh, Dortmund legend <laughs> and former Schalke player, Stefan Freund uh, talked about, you know, Paco's maybe not that typical holding up the ball, tall, big striker. He's a little short. I mean, he's not that short. But uh, no, he's not Lewandowski, but neither was Obama Young. Obama Young was not that type of striker. Obama Young was the play it into space and score or tap in goal kind of guy. Um, he's not the big, powerful striker that Lewandowski is, but there are less and less of those going around in general anyway that are effective these days. So I think Paco Alcacer will be okay. Um, I think he'll get his 15 to 20 goals a season. I think he may still get his 15 to 20 goals this season. I mean, he's already very well on the way, so uh, why not? And, you know, a fraction of a second would have made the difference and he would have scored a goal. So... Uh, I'm not overly concerned with Paco Alcacer not scoring in in the recent run of matches. Yeah, no, I'm 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 still very positive, especially if if he manages to stay fit for a while. But I I think Dortmund have said through the media already, um, if not directly, that they very much are looking out for another striker. Um, I think kicker. Also wrote that, you know, it's still open whether they are looking for another small ball striker like Alcasa or more, you know, the, the player that I, for example, would really love to see at Dortmund is Sebastian Allaire from Eintracht Frankfurt because he is just a hold up monster. And, uh, in certain situations, I think this would make a lot of sense. But on the other hand, you would have to spend a lot of money for Allaire because Frankfurt, I think, are in a very decent position to keep him. And it's just a question of cost-benefit analysis because I don't think Lucien Favre is the type of manager who would then frequently play Allaire up top because that's just not the style he prefers. So you would pay a lot of money for a striker. You would potentially bench a lot. So, um, yeah, this is basically how how I view the situation. So I, I see, you know, the, the player profile would be a perfect fit but at the same time you know acquiring such a player uh you know he needs to be very much aware of his role and and yeah so maybe maybe it's not going to happen like i want but yeah anyway just wanted to give my two cents on that and then another thing we should mention is that uh, abdu diallo had a really great game as a left back for i think the first time um or maybe second time in, in the dortmund shirt I know he's played that position at Mainz uh, and and probably already a little bit better, but um, yeah, it's it's just really good to see, especially him also dribbling inside um, the uh, potential for one we or four two. I don't remember at what minute it was. We've already talked about it was basically him then popping up in the half space and then playing that pass to Alcasa. But in general, a really good game, and I think also Hakimi was improved. Wouldn't say he had a great game, but uh, certainly much better than in, in previous weeks. And it's good to see that, uh, you know, a week of rest or so uh, still helps him. And uh, yeah, this may be inclination for Favre to reta- rotate more. That being said, Lucas Piszczek is still out indefinitely with, I think, is a foot injury. And we don't know when he will return. So I assume that we will also see... Um, Hakimi on the right back position on Friday against Augsburg so um, yeah there's that but it's good there are a lot of uh, positive things now again to talk about I, I mean at this point winning three points is more important than anything else even you know you can concede that Leverkusen over 90 minutes was maybe a slightly better team 
but you know that's just not what's what's counting at this moment so um matthias how important do you think is the psychological aspect right now of dortmund you know finally picking up you know a win again especially against a very good and informed side like Leverkusen. I think if you looked at the form table before the game, Leverkusen were in first place. Oh, without a doubt, it's gigantic. I mean, Dortmund were subject to a lot of highly unjustified criticism, in my opinion. Uh, I think people were hitting the panic button completely prematurely uh, after in, in a run that, yes, granted, they got knocked out of the cup on penalties and obviously the, the Champions League match. But if you look at their league form, they hadn't lost. You know, they've only lost once. Um, and like you said, against a very informed side where everybody thought, oh, they're going to beat Dortmund. Dortmund are, you know, falling to pieces and choking and blah, 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 which obviously wasn't the case. Um, and uh, psychologically, it gives them that incentive to push on again i had no concerns about the mentality of this squad and whether or not a winless run that they had would knock their confidence given the points buffer that they had uh, after the winter break they still have a points buffer over bayan no matter what happens on the next match day they will still be first place after the match day um, and I think that's that's a huge confidence boost there. And yes, I did it very tongue in cheek um, in the on Twitter when I wrote a, fa a so called not a fake headline but a headline that all the pressures on Bayern because previously the headlines were always all the pressures on Dortmund. But I think this was a huge victory at the perfect time for them. Yeah, no, no, totally. I hundred percent agree. Uh, you know, any result that also shuts up Uli Hoeneß is a good result. So, um, yeah, I think we can now move forward and, and look, uh, you know, if we talk about piling up the, or piling on the pressure, we can uh, look to Friday um, where Dortmund can move six points ahead of uh, Bayern Munich, who have to play against Gladbach. Uh, Gladbach now obviously lost their last two home games 3-0. Um, so that's that's not the best form to, to see Bayern, but who knows? Um, they're sort of Bayern's boogie team, so... Um, yeah. Meanwhile, Augsburg certainly are not Dortmund, uh, are yet to lose away to Augsburg. Um, Augsburg right now are in 15th place and have only won one game of the last 14. So they are in a really dire situation. They are only four points above the, uh, direct relegation zone. And I think two points ahead of 16th place Stuttgart. So they are far away from, from being comfortable. And they are also reeling from that 5-1 loss to Freiburg on last weekend. So that's uh, really not a team in form. That being said, I've seen them lose 3-2 to Bayern Munich. And uh, in that game, they didn't really not look like a complete, you know, distraught relegation scrap team. Um, I mean, Nuremberg didn't neither against Dortmund. So, you know, I don't want to say this is an easy win. Or so I, I think I've made this mistake before Nuremberg. You have so too. And I think um, we should not burn our hands again. So I'm not going to say that. Obviously, um, yeah, a very tough game for Dortmund away to Augsburg on a Friday night. But Matthias, um, I'm still quite confident about this game. I, I mean, I'm a bit worried, but I'm, I'm confident that Dortmund now have, you know, turned or, you know, got over the hump, whatever you want to call it. Um, so how do you think Favre will approach this game? Do you think he will keep the lineup that beat Leverkusen? Yes, uh, with caveat, I think we will see a cameo from Marco Reus, because apparently he's going to be fit for the match. I don't think he's going to start, but I, I wouldn't be surprised seeing Marco Reus come in, especially because I think Favre will be pragmatic in the sense of how he approaches the match against Tottenham. I think he basically says, okay, we're not gonna, we're not gonna advance in the Champions League. So all the focus is on the Bundesliga. So I would expect the, uh, say stronger, more informed side to come play against Augsburg. I wouldn't be surprised to see Delaney start. Um, instead of Julian Weigel, just because of physicality. Augsburg, they like to get physical. Uh, they like to kick people around a little bit. And um, so I think Delaney is more 
adept at dealing with sides like that than, say, Julian Weigel is. Uh, that being said, I do see some differences between, like, say, Nürnberg and Augsburg in the sense of Nürnberg just changed their manager, so you didn't quite know what to expect. Uh, and Nürnberg had nothing to lose, really. I mean, they were bottom of the league. They odds-on favor to get relegation. So they just put everybody in the box and hoped for the best. Um, whereas there's a lot of insecurity around Augsburg, especially because Stuttgart didn't look horrendous against Bremen. Uh, so there's war pressure on there. Manuel Baum has often been criticized, even, you know, just some, was it a month ago by one of his own players who's now at Frankfurt. Um, so I think Augsburg are going to be difficult. They're going to set up to not concede and not lose instead of trying to win. I think that that's not going to be a surprise, but I do believe you know, you lose someone like Martin Hinteregger, that's that's going to leave a gap, especially when you don't have the like-for-like like quality replacement for Augsburg. So I feel uh, confident in a Dortmund victory. I don't think it's going to be easy in the sense of Augsburg are going to make it very, very hard on them. Uh, but I do believe eventually Dortmund will get the breakthrough, but I don't think it's going to be 4-0, 5-0. I think it's kind of one of those where it may take until the 80th minute to get that 1-0 goal. Um, but it could also happen sooner. And then I think Augsburg, honestly, I think Augsburg will fall to pieces at that point uh, because I think just the pressure that they have internally, they're not up for it. And I think they'll start to make mistakes, especially defensively. Well, this is a sort of classic Bundesliga game where if you score early and are like 2-0 up after, say, I don't know, 25 minutes or so, and it's most likely going to be a very comfortable win, but if you don't, then it's going to be a very gritty affair. And, um, we've, we've seen it, you know, in, in several different ways play out for Dortmund this season. I, I think the easiest win so far they got was the uh, final away win to VfB Stuttgart, where they were also, um, up by, I think, three goals after 30 minutes or so and just coasted home. There was not really a threat that this game would, you know, turn around or whatever and uh, Augsburg that game could be very similar just uh, you know depending on uh, how confident Augsburg are of getting back into this one um, obviously they will be without uh, Reese Oxford um, who saw a red card against Freiburg and uh, he is one of their uh, center backs so maybe we will see Felix Gratze again or or uh, uh, I think Kevin Dunzo came on for him, so I, I don't know what uh, Manuel Baum is doing these days. And, uh, of course, his uh, assistant manager now, Jens Lehmann. Um, and then, of course, you know, we must not um, yeah, forget the potential that Augsburg have and scoring goals from range. They have Dong John, uh, uh, Dong Won Ji and, and uh, Jachua Ku. Um G, obviously, former Dortmund player, and they, of course, have the Fußball god Daniel Bayer in their ranks, but I think they have a problem with uh, not having um, Alfred Finn-Bogason available. I think he is by far the best player and um, also a striker that would fit very well to, to Dortmund, I think. Uh, sadly, uh, Julian Schieber is also out of this game. Um, and then I expect uh, Sergio Cordova to be their striker, but I don't really rate him highly. And after I said that, I probably jinxed it now. But um, yeah, Philip Max has been touted a lot as their left back right now. Um, he is uh, often playing as a left midfielder because, um, you know, Augsburg are trying to get something going with his crosses and put him a little bit further ahead and then have, I think, Staffelidis as a left back. Um, so you can already see that Augsburg are A, depleted and B, tinkering around a lot because, you know, at this point of the season, after having only one win in, I don't know, 40, 14 games, excuse me, um, you just try out different things and hope for the best. It's a bit of, you know, play and pray, so to, so to speak. So I'm, uh, yeah. A bit wary of the qualities that Augsburg have. I don't think that they're absolutely horrible like Stuttgart, Hanover or even Schalke. I think there's some quality in there and uh, that on a good day, Augsburg can be a threat to any team, even Dortmund and even Bayern. Um, I, you know, Bayern actually came pretty close to drawing against them. So, um, yeah, it's not going to be 
be an easy game, but I don't think there will be a huge tactical, um, you know, spark of genius from Manuel Baum that will defeat Dortmund. I don't think um, this is going to be the case. I think it's going to be a pretty standard match between a clear favorite and a clear underdog. And I think that uh, Dortmund will just be very wary about their set piece defending and about, you know, the crosses. But I'm a little bit more confident, uh, not that much more confident, but a little bit more confident about that with Manuel Akanji back because um, he is the head of that defense. And with him back in the lineup, as I've said a million times already, um, yeah, things are just a little bit more and better organized. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have too many things to say about this game, to be honest, other than I'm really hoping for a Dortmund win be it a comfortable one or a narrow one, and then uh, be able to put my feet up on the couch and uh, watch the rest of the Bundesliga take points away from each other. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my preview, I guess, Matthias. If you have anything or nothing to add, I think we can move on briefly to the Tottenham match. Yeah, I'm just glad the match is on a Friday so I get to see it because I'm traveling Saturday and Sunday so I wouldn't be able to watch it whilst I fly to Germany. But I, I agree with you. I think Dortmund will win this one. I think it'll be kind of a 2-0 a victory without, you know, a, a few dangerous set pieces that Buki will probably have to to save. But overall, I think it's going to be a match where most of it's going to be in... Augsburg's defensive third with occasional forays into the Dortmund half, but I don't expect, like you said, Manuel Baum to do anything too crazy because every point counts, and I think he's going to set his team out not to lose rather than to try to win. Well, here's the thing. I really hope that Dortmund have learned from the 4-3, you know, thriller, crazy game against uh, Augsburg in the first half of the season because they made a lot of mistakes there that you know always allowed Augsburg to come back in this game or even go in front and I really hope that they have analyzed this and um, now know much better what to do how to behave in in which zones to play the ball and where to lose it and where not to lose it so um, I'm, I'm just looking forward and hoping for a learning effect on, on Dortmund's behalf. Um, this is all. Anyway, so give us a prediction, Matthias. I'm going to go with a 2-0 for Borussia Dortmund. Yep, that was also my prediction, so uh, I think we will just agree on that. So moving on to Tottenham, Matthias, you already said that um, you think the priorities are stark and Self-evident and Dortmund being 3-0 down in this tie, there is not much hope left. Uh, Michael Sorg, obviously as a sporting director, was a bit more hopeful. Um, he said before the tie, it was said that both teams are very even. I am far away from giving up. We beat Atletico 4-0 at home. And basically, yeah, trying to stay on message with, uh, you know, the little bit of hope that you might still have. But I honestly don't see a great miracle. I mean, it's possible, can't rule it out, but, um, you know, you have to call it a miracle because it would be one that's this, this unlikely and Tottenham and, you know, they're on a truce like Atletic, Atletico were who just, you know, refused to attack. Just That's just not how Tottenham play at all. So, um, yeah, I think that Tottenham will score at least one goal and that will be that for Dortmund. Um, so, what do you make of this game? I think, you know, we will see Christian Pulisic back if he is fit by then and a bit more rotation. Do you think that Dortmund will bring their A game and to try to salvage the uh, situation or do you think they will just, uh, you know, not give up, but, you know, put their priorities in order, I guess? I think there's going to be a little bit of similarity to when Tottenham and Dortmund played in the Europa League a few seasons ago. And Pochettino clearly put out a weakened side, um, and Dortmund completely dominated them because the tie was already lost, and he was focused on the league. Uh, now, it's an interesting situation for Tottenham because they Harry Kane is back; he scored, uh, but uh, another very disappointing loss to Burnley, which always seems to happen every damn season. <laughs> uh, even though I cannot stand Burnley, I find the way they play football to be offensive. 
personally. Um, but they they lost there, and they play Chelsea on Wednesday. We're recording this on Tuesday, and uh, that could be very interesting because they can either, you know, send send sorry to the unemployment line, uh, or what I somehow fear because it's Chelsea that somehow Chelsea gets it together against Tottenham. And then you're going to have a little bit of a an insecure Tottenham side. If, if there's a team that Dortmund could score three goals against, I think Tottenham is it. Uh, I don't think we're going to see Fertongen play like that again. Uh, Akanji back and, and more solidity overall. Marco Royce back, a fully healthy Dortmund squad. Um, Dortmund are going to be much harder. I think Dortmund can win the match. Um, I wouldn't even put it past them scoring three goals, but it's very hard for me to concede or conceive better said, <laughs> uh, no pun intended conceive of a match involving Harry Kane where he doesn't score. And as such, even at, at that rate, Dalton would then have to score five. And I, I really don't see that happening. Um, I think the, the tie was lost in London in the span of 15 minutes. And as such, I think Dortmund will win the match, but lose the tie, bow out gracefully, um, and uh, focus on beating, winning the league with a superior goal difference over Bayern. Yes, I, I hope so too. I mean, uh, I, I assume that both Dortmund and Bayern will be able to focus on the league after this round of Champions League football. I don't think that Bayern will prevail against Liverpool. I just don't see it happening. I think Liverpool are way too strong. Oh, if you can't um, score on a defense made of Matip and Fabinho, you don't deserve to score. Yeah, that was the weakest attacking performance by Bayern in a very long time. Uh, I don't know what the expected goal was, but it was so marginal that uh, people had to point it out how historical it was, basically. And yeah, so that's... That's uh, just how, how I see the Champions League tie going. Um, I mean, Tottenham, I think it's fair to say, have built a reputation for choking. You know, the word Spursy does, you know. Hey, hey, you're getting in dangerous territory now. <laughs> you know, I remember in 1991 when they won a major trophy that, yeah, no, you're right. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, it, 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 like I said, I can conceive of them conceding three but i can also see harry kane scoring at least one yeah anyway um basically what we're trying to say is uh there's hope but you know don't don't build too much on it and uh, just wait and see i think it's nice to go into this game as as dire as may sound without pressure because um you know this tie feels decided and if it you know if you build up hope then the hope can basically only start being built up within the match and not before. So um, there's that. And I think this is basically a place to leave it. Um, I think Dortmund will win this one 2-1, to one, and that's going to be that. Oh, I think Dortmund are going to win this one 3-1, uh, give Spurs an absolute nightmare, nightmare scare. I wouldn't even be surprised if Dortmund scored two in the first 25 minutes. And then somehow in the 49th or 52nd minute, Harry Kane pops up with a goal. You get a third, but then it's already over. So, yeah, I'm going to go with a 3-1 Dalton victory, knowing that that really doesn't matter either. But, yeah, I don't know. Obviously, that that buries buries Spurs psychologically. But Spurs aren't going to win the Premier League anyway. So, it's it's all good. I mean, I... I I have uh, my focus on the uh, North London derby. I think for um, Tottenham that will be more important, and probably oh, without also a doubt. The, mo the more in interesting tie, to be honest. So anyway, let's leave it here. Wrap it up, Matthias. Uh, thanks again for uh, joining me to discuss all things Dortmund. Uh, I guess Bayern and Schalke too. Um, please uh, tell our listeners how to get in touch with you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matthias Souk, and it was a pleasure as always, especially talking about Dortmund and a little bit of Spurs and then the negativity around Schalke and the delusion that is Uli Hoeneß' Bayern. Very nice. You can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can find the entire show on yellowwallpod.com where you will 
find our Twitter handle and Facebook handle, which is at yellowwallpod. You can subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And uh, please do us a favor and give us a rating because that will help us to reach new audiences. So thanks for that. If you can humble us with a nice five-star rating <laughs> and um, if you want to contribute financially, which also pushes us forward by a very big uh, mile, then uh, please go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall and we will be back with a new show, I guess, after the Tottenham game, which yeah, is next week. So until then, goodbye, enjoy the football and thanks for listening.